Hi, I'm Natalie Arney and this is SEO in 2023. Natalie, what's your number one SEO tip for 2023? So my number one SEO tip for 2023 is in order to reap the best benefits from a link acquisition campaign is to ensure that your site is as, as, as sound as possible. Okay, as sound as possible. So what is your having a sound site actually mean? From my point of view, a lot of people will think that it's technically sound, but I think um, it's not just about technicalities and having good technical SEO. Um, we need to think about the three the three it's not just about technicalities and having good technical SEO we need to think about the three pillars of SEO constantly working in tandem with each other working together with each other so tech content and links working together you've got to have a good technical structure good site technically it doesn't have to be perfect your content needs to be written and found and of good quality and, and helpful and then obviously you've got your links side as well okay so three pillars let's Delve into those three pillars in a little bit more depth there. So starting off with tech. So what are the typical tech areas that trip websites up at the moment? I think it's a bit of a mixture. Obviously, through this year, we've had issues with with Google admitting themselves that their indexation and their reporting of indexation isn't as great as it should be. So we know that there's an issue around that. However, making sure that our sites are crawlable, that the content is crawlable is so important, especially as we move towards a more a JavaScript savvy web there's a lot of things that google can read and see when you're looking at things like a javascript site so if you're depending on the on the platform that you're using however it's making sure that you've got that belt and braces approach so that if there is content on your site that can't be crawled that is javascript that is struggling to be read or you know search engines are struggling to read that content for some reason or another that you're solving those issues so what is the way that you check that a site is crawlable? Oh, there's lots of ways. <laughs> a lot of the time what I do is I use a lot of fetch and render tools. There's some really great ones out there. I like to have a look and see what's rendering in terms of JavaScript versus HTML and also obviously using Google Search Console. Now, as I previously mentioned, there have been issues this year with regards to Google Search Console's reporting of crawlability and indexation of websites. However, you know, going around and use, going around in the way that you want to, uh, kind of bypassing Google and using tools to test the site yourself. Obviously, you know, it's only part of the, Google's only part of the story. So yeah, using tools that you can, whether that's a crawling tool, whether it's a rent fetching and rendering tool, or whether it is using another search engine search console, for example, Bing or Yandex, being able to see what certain search engines are seeing can help you predict. And obviously the tools as well can help you predict what Google may or may not be able to see. And we like specific recommendations. So, so what crawling tool do you like at the moment? I have a couple. So my two main crawling tools, I like to use them in tandem. I know that they're rivals. I know that everyone's always comparing the two, but I like to use Screaming Frog and Sightbulb in tandem. So why do you use them in tandem? Why don't you just use one? It's an interesting one. Um, I find that I like the interface for Sightbulb, but Screaming Frog can help pick up certain elements as well. I'm the type of person who likes to have all my bases covered and I don't really like missing things out. So sometimes every now and then, you know, one tool might pick something up, whereas another tool might not. So I, yeah, I try and use both so that I've got all of my bases covered. And I guess the challenge with that is... Um, 
if the two tools disagree, you don't know which tool is correct. How do you determine which tool is correct? So that's where I go in and, and have a look manually, depending on what the issue is. So obviously having a look at the code on the site, having a look server side, depending on what the issue is, then it's time to delve in deeper and see exactly what the issue might be. But obviously there are additional tools and additional crawling tools that you can use to double check that. So for example, Content King, Deep Crawl, etc. However, yeah, what I like to do as well is have a delve in myself and actually see what the issue might be. And, and pick things up in, in the in the code. Obviously, there's plugins and things that you can use in Chrome and additional tools that you can use, but it really does depend on the on the on the issue and what what they're kind of disagreeing on. So when it's a page title meta description H1 issue, duplicate content issue, is obviously you know a lot easier to to look at rather than a piece of code or a script that's not not firing properly. Sometimes nothing beats a pair of eyes and some common sense. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pillar one of SEO technical. Pillar two, as you describe it, is mm -hmm. content. So what are the content issues yeah. that you're seeing on websites at the moment? So I'm seeing a lot of different ones. So obviously content in relation to tech, whether that content's actually being indexed itself it could be a technical issue or it could be that the content is just poor quality and it doesn't it doesn't answer the question or the query or the intent of the user so making sure that the query and the intent of the query is is so so important what i come across is a lot of sites and and obviously with the helpful content update a lot of sites are creating content to show expertise but not in the best way or to show expertise or to think that they're showing expertise and understanding of a topic or a subject and it's a little bit off the mark so even missing out on certain you know the most popular questions that people ask about a topic make sure that those questions are answered it might seem obvious to someone who's on the client side or it might seem obvious to an seo or a content writer that those questions are there and people should know the answers to them however you need to be showing <laughs> you need to be answering those questions and showing that you know the answers to those questions when you're creating a piece of content you can't make any assumptions that people are going to know about a specific subject because yeah not everyone's got the same specialism not everyone's got the same understanding um, and we need to be treating users as though you know we're casting a wide net when we're obviously looking at certain things. Now you started off by using the word intent mm -hmm. so do you use a tool to help you categorize intent or is determining intent a rather manual process? So I like to use a combination of using tools, but also manually. So what I usually do is when I'm doing a little bit of whether it's in-depth, massive keyword doc research document or whether it's researching, you know, top five or 10 keywords for an article or for a piece of content. What I like to do is I use um, a combination of tools depending on what the client has access to and depending on what I have access to. Obviously, SEMrush has got a intent classifier or an intent classification on their keyword tool. But I also like using Keyword Insights because what it does is it lets you upload keywords and categorize them, cluster them, but also get intent. And what it does is it, it takes the intent from the cert. Yeah, it re it's really, really helpful in terms of whether it's a small amount of keywords that you can put in or whether you can you can also add in, you know, 
keywords in bulk and then categorize those keywords by the intent. So that's the tool part. And then on the other side, it's it's speaking with the with the client or with your internal team and making sure that then they know and they're aware of the intent of the content and the keywords that you're the keywords that you're targeting and the content that you're creating. So who is this piece of content for? What are they going to do with this piece of content? Are they using that piece of content to information seek and find information at the top of top of a funnel? Or is this bottom of the funnel almost at conversion point or at conversion point content? And really discuss with the client and with your internal team what the intent of that of that piece of content is. Because <laughs> We've we've all been there where you've created a piece of content and someone said, well, why have you put that on the website? Why is it there? And um, as, a, as a consultant, a lot of the time is when I come in and I look at a, a site's content is kind of understanding whether I decide to keep that content or put it or, or throw it away <laughs> or remove it from a website. It's why is that piece of content there? Why did you decide on creating it? And, and what do you want the user to do with that content? Do you want them to read it and engage with it and understand the topic that that, that content's on? Or do you want them to go on and convert? Or are you have you just created that content to acquire traffic to the site, which obviously... It's not not the full intent of, of a keyword or, or a piece of content. So, okay, you, you've decided on your keyword phrase. You've decided on your intent or you've mapped your intent to that keyword phrase. You've decided what you want your users to do with that piece of content. How do you then decide how to actually put that piece of content together? What that piece of content should look like, how long it should be, what type of content it should be? So obviously looking at what's already ranking is always a, always a good idea. But at the same time, it's a bit of a mixture. Obviously, you know, you need to decide on what obviously, yeah, the intent of the piece of content, what makes sense and what you as a reader may want to do. So when I speak to copywriters or when I'm briefing content myself, it's thinking about how long do I want a piece of content? We don't, I think a lot of the time when when we're looking at creating content for acquisition, do we want to create a massive guide? Are we creating, so if you're creating a massive guide, obviously you're targeting a lot of informational terms. However, if you're looking for a conversion piece of content, are you creating a massive guide for conversions? Or do you want a short, sharp piece that answers the user's question that then has a really nice clean call to action that really ties in with what your CRM consultant or your CRO team want to do in terms of conversions as well and really support one another in that acquisition journey because it really does depend on yeah, the intent of the intent of the user intent of the keyword intent of the content and obviously yeah you don't want to be creating a massive guide what will may either confuse confuse the user might provide them with too much information and the intent is completely off in terms of getting them to convert on a piece of content. So yeah, it really does depend on what stage of the funnel you're at and the and the whole idea of, of that piece of content. So always thinking about the why is so important for, for, for me, but also for users, because what you don't want to do is be creating a 3000 word guide for someone that just wants a short, sharp piece that they're ready to convert. They want, for example, if you're looking at an e-commerce site and you've created a massive guide, but the intent is to convert versus a short, sharp product description, a few FAQ questions on a PDP, 
there's a lot of difference there and it's making sure that you that the right intent for the for not just the keyword and not just for the user but the actual purpose of the content so let's touch on the third pillar links so what links work now and what links links don't work it's a bit of a very it's a bit of a bit of a loaded question that one <laughs> It's always it always changes. It really again, I think a lot of the time it does depend on the query and also the type of content that that you want to to link to. So, for example, if you're doing a very kind of a brand activation type PR piece, then obviously the the type of link and the type of sites that are going to be linking to your site are going to be incredibly different than those where you're creating a really kind of useful, helpful guide that might be linked to from academic uh, publications, for example. So it really, it really does vary. But I think, again, when you're when you're building links, intent is key. So do you want to kind of get mass market, top kind of, you know, top level mass publications so top tier mass publications so like your daily newspapers do you or do you want more niche publications or do you want coverage and and sourcing from from more academic fields or more specialist sites so it really does vary Um, obviously there are reasons for getting all of those different types of links and having a varied backlink profile is really really important but it's obviously how you create the content to get those links how you go about acquiring those links and making sure that they are relevant uh, relevant for number one your brand number two the piece of content that you're that you're trying to outreach um, or the campaign that you're trying to outreach but also the topic that you're going to be writing about because what I see a lot and what we saw during the pandemic at least were a lot of campaigns that were a little irrelevant towards brands and whether the relevancy of, of those links and those campaigns um, versus how you want to, uh, how those brands would want to, to rank. Quite a varied topic and quite a loaded topic because I hate saying it depends, but at the same time, there's a lot of variety in terms of publishers, campaigns, pieces of content. There's yeah, the publishers themselves, the niches that those publications are in. It's so, so varied, but making sure that obviously you target the right people and the right publications with the right content and the right campaigns is key. You've shared what SEOs should be doing in 2023. So now let's talk about what SEOs shouldn't be doing. So what's something that's seductive in terms of time, but ultimately counterproductive? What's something that SEOs shouldn't be doing in 2023? Spending so much time number one chasing algorithms but i guess a secondary secondary part on that because obviously you know google says that algorithm up to up, algorithms update day to day but yeah so we shouldn't be doing that day to day but also chasing keywords and chasing um chasing the rankings of the keywords just because a keyword increases or decrease in a in a week or in a month doesn't mean that that you're not go- you're not doing well or that you should completely react in terms of what should and shouldn't be done i think what's important is making sure that you monitor obviously relevant traffic alongside that keyword ranking doesn't mean that you shouldn't monitor your keyword ranking but just making sure that that you don't constantly 
check every single day oh oh that's gone up today or that's gone down today is there a reason behind it and spending you know hours and hours every day looking at the fluctuation of specific keywords and trying to find the reasoning behind it rather than spending that time actually getting dev fixes actioned or getting pieces of content briefed or outreaching to specific publications to acquire links so yeah not just chasing the algorithms but really really kind of looking at the finer details of of keyword rankings and checking them on the on a too regular an occurrence Natalie Arney is a freelance SEO consultant from nataliearney.com. Natalie, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2023. Thanks, David. Get your copy of SEO in 2023, the book, over at seoin2023.com. 